0: I'm planning on wrapping up First John today. I told Lindsay she could take as long as she wants. So I figure I could have anywhere from five minutes to 20 minutes or two minutes um, because you don't get the missionaries through every so often. So Lindsay's family is in, in Las Vegas. I know last time and every time she says we need to come up with a new story, but I can't rewrite history. And so I met Lindsay in Africa, in Kenya, visiting... Uh, the, um, the Wagnell family. And so I'm, I was only there for, like, four days, so I'm super jet-lagged. Joe's taking me to the hangar. He's introducing me to all these people. Lindsay, this, like, this, like young little girl comes bop, popping in and says hi to everybody. Everybody says, hi, Lindsay. In my mind, because we are quick to judge people incorrectly most of the time, yeah. I... <laughs> I think, oh, cute little girl. She must be an office girl doing admin stuff or whatever, like up there. Then we go through the, the building. I say this as a confession, not a, like I'm, uh, then we go through. Joe walks through a room. They're like, hey, you here for the prayer meeting? I can see Joe going, oh, yeah, we're here for the prayer meeting. He totally forgot about the prayer meeting. We have a time of prayer. And then Joe's like, hey, our chief pilot's here. Uh, I bet she has some cool stories. Hey, Lindsay can you share some cool stories? I'm like, oh, Lindsay, you're the chief pilot. And so I like afterwards go up to her and I'm like, you're going to think I'm a weirdo. And she's like, well, let me be the judge of that. I'm like, can I get a selfie of you to send back to my daughter? Because we just read about Betty Green. And she's like, okay, I think you're kind of creepy. and uh, <laughs> But okay. Uh, but so we adopted her. And so because she's in Vegas, her family, she's able to pop in and out. And so Lindsay's going to come up and she's going to share with us and there will be a Q&A time so be prepared with your questions uh, for her and i'm going to turn off this one It's on? okay now this is a clock running upwards got it so you're good to go just let me you know we'll figure it out okay, <laughs> okay. well this, this is a kid after Lindsay, too. So. <laughs> what a
1: treat to be here good morning i um i, I understand Two things. One, I took kind of a gamble because I flew in this morning on Frontier, <laughs> which tells you how much how much faith I had in the Lord that we would make it. it. Was a lot more confidence than I had for Frontier Airlines, but they were on time and it was a beautiful flight. And then uh, I'm also learning I'm in between weather systems because multiple people this morning said, "Did you bring the sunshine from Vegas?" And I said, "Why, yes, I did." <laughs> so I think I think you guys are. I've heard you had a lot of rain, so okay. Uh, well, again, cool cool picture. Whomever found that one? Uh, it's up every week. Oh, it's up every week. Oh, <laughs> you poached my Facebook. <laughs> uh, that's, that's awesome. So my name's Lindsay Gray. A little bit of context about me. Uh, that Gunner story is true. Um, I think the church has been partnering with me in prayer and support for at least five years now at this point, five or six. So it's been nice to receive your prayer from a distance, uh, and yeah, to be able to pop in and, and get to share. It's, it's a privilege to have this amount of time. Usually when I'm in the States uh, visiting churches or connecting with people, often pastors will give me like three to four minutes. And so that's usually a quick hello and then a quick goodbye. And so it's just, it's just a privilege to get this time with you this morning, and I appreciate it. Uh, so I live in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, And I work as a missionary for Africa Inland Mission, but specifically my role is chief pilot for AMIR, which is our aviation division. So we operate a fleet of six aircraft uh, throughout all of East Africa. Uh, you can divide the six airplanes between three big planes and three small planes. <laughs> so we have uh, kind of two of each. The small planes seat six, and what I call the big planes uh, seat 14. So they're still relatively small in comparison to what you're used to flying in the commercial world. Um, I fly both of those planes, and then my role as chief pilot is I'm responsible for the training proficiency uh, flight scheduling, member care of our team of 14 pilots, which doesn't seem like a lot, um, but everybody's got unique needs and concerns, and so it's it can be, yeah, it's, it's a fun role. I, I really enjoy it. So uh, just for context, we are, depending on your time zone change, we're either 10 or 11 hours apart. Kenya is located right on the equator, so we run a 12-hour day year-round. It's super nice. Sun comes up at 6.30. Sun goes down at 6.30 every day of the year. And our temperature ranges from no cooler than 65 and no warmer than about 83 all year round. So it's, it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people often ask me, like, is it so hot there? Like, what is it like? And I'm like, no, like, I don't bring my winter clothes and I just wear a light sweater. So. Uh, it's, it is a treat to live there. For context, uh, Kenya shares borders with some friendly countries and some unfriendly countries. So we share borders to the south with Tanzania. Our biggest border is to the west, Uganda. It's quite large. Um, we share part of a border with South Sudan, Ethiopia, and then Somalia. So they kind of go from friendly to not friendly <laughs> as you make your curve on the way up. And then we cross borders as AMIRs, so we fly in between all of those countries. So... It's not uncommon for me to start my day in Nairobi and then to end my day in South Sudan. Um, I should clarify, we're not flying in Ethiopia and Somalia. So our bread and butter is Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, CAR, Congo, DRC, South, South Sudan. So, um, yeah. I... I brought a video i'd like to show you and it just gives you a glimpse of what flying in east africa is like it's it was taken by one of our interns who was literally sitting in the back seat and it just gives you just a taste and flavor of what the landscape looks like yeah so that's a a glimpse isn't it beautiful yeah just just gorgeous flying um you get everything from tea fields to lakes to mountains. Like, yeah, the the landscape is always changing. Uh, where we were flying from, Wilson Airport is my home airport. It's quite congested. I would offer it is one of the busiest pieces of pavement in all of East Africa. Um, I would say they're landing and taking off the aircraft about once every two minutes. Um, it's it is a it's a busy busy place. And then where we were flying to was Arua, Uganda. That's Amers. Um, second location so we don't have a maintenance facility there but we house pilots that live there and our about half of our fleet sleeps there so we split our fleet so that we can be closer to south sudan and closer to some missionaries working in that area so what you saw is kind of a a three-minute condensed version of a flight that we do pretty routinely uh, between our two primary locations a little bit more about me uh i i think i was i was quite a bit younger um when we first connected, I'll be 35 in March. I feel like I can can I say I'm middle age? Now is that? I don't know when you say you're middle age, but maybe I'm getting close. Did, is it 40? I don't know what the limit is. <laughs> 60? Okay. <laughs> middle age is going up. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, I'm single. I'm I'm not married. I live alone, kind of in a townhouse. And a lot of people think, do you live in a hut in the middle of nowhere? No, like. Nairobi is a big, bustling city. Uh, I can order Uber Eats to my house, and I do on occasion. Uh, there's Wi-Fi in my home. I stream Netflix, like, like it's, it's. I live simply, um, but I, I live in a modern, big, bustling city. So I often describe it as the Las Vegas of Africa. Like it's, it's a 24-hour, diverse, uh, tourist-based city. So. Uh, people will often ask if I speak multiple languages, and I say I speak English. Um, and the, the second national language of Kenya is Swahili. I understand more Swahili than what I can speak, and I will offer that what you see on the movie The Lion King is a good representation of my linguistic fluency. <laughs> so you would, you would think after all of these years I would be, uh, well-versed in it, and that, that's not true. So we fly in places that more often than not we encounter tribal languages. Uh, and then if we're over in CAR, we, we hit French. So it doesn't do us a lot of good as pilots to be able to speak multiple languages. Uh, I might hear seven or eight different languages in a given day when I'm flying. So, um, I yeah, I have not invested in language learning like I hoped I would have by now. <laughs> Uh, A little bit about AIM. So AIM as an organization, um, their their mission statement is Christ-centered churches uh, for all African peoples with priority for the unreached. So AIM Air, having an aviation division, like our hope and effort is to support AIM's wider mission. For context, uh, the Joshua Tree Project defines an unreached people group As a, as a constituency of people where less than 2% of that, that membership would be believing and professing Christians. So I would say in, in this group of us to morning, this morning, that would probably be like if, if four or five of you were Christians, then this body would be considered reached. Um, if less than five people in this room were professing Christians, then we would be considered an unreached constituency. Um, I wrestle with that threshold a lot because uh, 2% is not a high statistic. Uh, we want to see the church growing and thriving uh, in Africa. And so we, we want more than just to cross the threshold from reached to unreached, but we want uh, reached to discipled to be missional and to one day be sending on their own um, to other villages and tribes around them, and eventually to the nations themselves so that 's kind of our goal um, as as aim. As Mayor, we fly for more than just AIM. So we fly for, I would say, over 50 like-minded ministry partners in a given year. So SIM, World Vision, Voice of the Martyrs, Samaritan's Purse. Those are some of the, the, the larger uh, organizations that you might be more familiar with that it's quite, it's quite common for us to be, to be flying them. People often ask, well, what are you flying? So um, we fly... I, I, I joke, we're either flying uh, self-loading cargo people, which I like uh, because I don't... Yeah, you load yourself in and you buckle yourself in. Um, or we're flying cargo, so supplies, uh, humanitarian aid, relief, food supplies, um, Bibles, just any materials that are are helpful that, that need transported from place to place. So um, that's kind of a a big-picture perspective or overview. I, I'll share a couple stories. I think um, some of the places that we get to fly, like it's, it's a treat and it's a privilege, and you find yourself kind of in these rural places that you never really expect it to be. And so it can be sometimes hard to process the different locations and um, to go from city all of a sudden to rural village. And there's one place in northern Kenya that I especially enjoy flying to, and it's called Khorre. It's about a two-hour flight north in one of our small planes, and you land in this um, kind of like a dirt runway. It's got a dog leg in it. You have to catch a turn. Um, Melanie has been there with me. We, I flew her there. But one thing that's unique about CORE is that um, there is, it's, it's the Rendili tribe, and they are now considered reached. That happened, I would say, less than 10 years ago. And in addition to that, they have a growing and a thriving church. And so they are discipling other unreached peoples in their local area. So it's always a privilege to be able to fly to a place where the African church is growing. Um, but not long ago, I ended up um, getting to sit inside of a, like a, a hut, just like what you would think in National Geographic, with a very um, well-seasoned, older woman. And it was a privilege to hear how she came to know the Lord, and it was through a literacy training program. And what had happened is um, they were offering literacy classes because women didn't know how to read or how to write, but they wanted to. Uh, it's a very, like, dignity, life-giving opportunity and so, what they were using for the literacy classes was biblical content and if you did a full year of literacy classes, then the I guess the reward for participating and engaging in it was an entire goat, which was quite significant in that community. I wouldn't want it, um, but it's very meaningful and so this woman, as she shared her story and she said, "You know she expected to encounter the English language and instead she encountered Christ, and by the end of it she she said she had no use for the goat after all. So uh, to me, those, those types of things are just, like, it's, it's a sheer privilege to be able to engage in those communities. Um, in contrast, I, I found myself on kind of the coastal part of Kenya, close to the border of Somalia, and that would be considered a, a harder region, um, a strong Muslim presence, a very strong Islamic presence. Um, yeah, that's just the religious majority is, is what is in that part of Kenya. And I, I flew there, um, and I I had some, um, oh, what would they be called? Like news reporters, I guess, that were on the plane. They were working for the Washington Post at the time. I, I didn't really realize that's who I was flying. In fact, I baked them cookies. And as I was giving them cookies, I was like, who do you work for? And, and they worked for the Washington Post. I was like, oh, I had no idea. Would you like a cookie? So so we, we get off, and I, I knew what we were looking at is we were, they were going to report on a severe drought that was in the area, and um, when we landed, I was surprised because what, what met us there was these armored vehicles, and these, these, it was a military presence, a big vehicle, and they all had helmets on, and they had guns, and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. This is not at all what I was expecting. And some days you just don't know what you're landing into, and I am concerned about flying the plane, and not so concerned about what we're encountering. And we weren't overnighting there, so I wasn't really worried about it. And as we were driving around, um, you know what what I noticed wasn't just the drought, but was was more of a spiritual drought. And so I didn't see any churches. I didn't see like, any visible representation of Christianity at all. But I knew not to look for a church, like, of this structure, but, you know, people meet under trees or, you know, outside of their homes. And so I asked the question, I said, you know, is there a church here? And they said, no. I said, okay, well, you know, is there, are there any missionaries here? And they said, no. And I said, do you think there's any Christians, like, any in this region? And they said, no. No. <laughs> And so for me, like encountering places like that where um like where you find where you find people that have no access to the gospel and nobody to tell them, and they will live and die and not know the name of Jesus Christ, that for me is what I really wrestle with. Um and to the extent that like it 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 bothers me just as much as it, it bothers you um thinking about that. And like I I I wrestle with that quite often, and I I often feel like, um, I feel like Job in a sense, not that I have ever endured what Job has endured. I will never claim that I haven't. My life has been good. Um, But what I do resonate with is that, you know, Job approaches the throne of God very boldly. And he basically says, like, I'm innocent. Like, I've done nothing wrong. Why are you punishing my family? Why is life like this? Why is it a mess? And God just responds so distinctly and we just get chapter after chapter of God showcasing who he is and why, um, how he made the world and what his character is like and how loving and how gracious and how kind he is. And it really puts Job in his place like in an absolute instant. And so when I encounter these situations of what I would say spiritual injustice in the sense that here you can encounter a church you know, on multiple street corners, but yet when we fly to rural like really rural locations in, in Africa and in, in the majority world, they they don't have access to the gospel. Like when I think of that, like I really just have to trust, um trust that the Lord is caring, that He's righteous, that He sees these people. I, I once told this story to uh just a small group of women and this wasn't that long ago and one of the women said to me and she said you know, that that story is really good because you were there that day. Like, you were God's love. You were God's light. Like, what a gift that your presence was there. And I said, no, like, you missed it. The goodness is that God was there long before I ever showed up. And he knows these people intimately by name, and he cares for them abundantly. And there's a book that has been um, kind of dear to my heart that I've read and, and appreciated. I don't know if some of you have read it, but it's called Gentle and Orly by Dane Ortland. I don't know if that sounds familiar. I recommend it if you haven't read it. But he writes, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. And so like that just reminds me of God's character and his compelling love and grace for peoples and that he's always moving towards us despite our sin. And he just longs for a relationship with us, with me, with us, and with these people that have yet to know him. And so that just gives me such grace and hope. Um, yes, I want God to come back now sooner rather than later because when you see injustice and hurt in the world around you, you just want to see their suffering end. But at the same time, I'm so glad that God isn't coming back quite yet. <laughs> uh, we don't know when, but we know we have work to do. And so, like, I'm thankful just to be able to take part in that, um, just in a very cross-cultural way uh, through aviation. Like, that's it's a gift to be able to do that. Um, can I, I would love just to see if you guys have questions. I'm always happy to answer them. Yes, he asked what kind of plane I fly. So the small plane is a Cessna 206. The big plane is a Cessna Caravan. Yeah, that's a good question. So I don't come from a family of aviation, which is actually quite uncommon. Uh, Usually pilots, breed pilots. (laughs) Uh, And that's not my, not my story. So no, like we were, we, I was raised in a missional home. I have a sister and um, I just felt like I wanted to use my skills and giftings for ministry as much as possible. But I also had an interest in aviation almost at the age of like 10, 11, and 12. And I'm so grateful that my parents, rather than hearing, you know, their young 11-year-old daughter saying she wants to be a missionary pilot and dismissing it, they did everything they could to expose me uh, to aviation. And so I started taking aviation classes actually in high school. And then I started flying at 17. Um, so I've now been flying for half my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I two the first is that in that video, it looked like somebody was using their phone to help them fly. Oh, yeah. So, like, um, we fly with our phones on all the time. <laughs> Yeah, so what he had on the screen was actually an iPad, which gives us a, it's just a backup map. It, yeah, it was just an iPad mini. Yeah, but I fly with my phone, I text when I fly. Maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to. <laughs> You know that's that's such a hard question to answer because um, I I always feel like my my responses are never like like good enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I can give two. So she she's asking for a story when I felt like I saw God move. Um, I'll give two. Something that I would consider large and something that's quite small. Um, so. It, when we get to fly uh, people like for Bible dedications, to me that's just a really powerful experience. So when a village receives a Bible translation in their heart language, it is an all-out fiesta. Like like the whole village comes. Um, they will often bring like the translations in on camels, which are their most prized creatures, and it's just a full day of feasting and celebration. And it to me, I like that 's God moving among the nations when people can read Scripture in their heart language, and I know that they 're not just feasting that day but they 're feasting on Scripture for generations to come and so like I really enjoy being part of flights like that. Um, I find that to be a really moving and powerful thing before coming here um, just recently i I was on standby for a medevac all day and We had a cutoff time of like 4.30 because it was to Rwanda. And I was like, okay, which is a long flight. (laughs) It would have been hours to get there, hours to come back. And so the cutoff time comes and goes. And I had a more senior pilot with me um, who I think is more of a night owl than I, I am. And the flight ended up kind of confirming an hour past our confirmation time and so we ran the numbers and we were like no we can still make it within our duty limits let's do it it was a medevac flight Um, my attitude was still even a bit more sour because i asked what the medevac was for and it wasn't emergent so i was like oh could we just do it in the morning and we're like no we're gonna go tonight and so we we take off pretty much right as the sun is setting I was projecting a 130 arrival back into the international airport because our home airport would be closed. And as I was flying over, I, my GPS showed me over Lake Victoria, which is a, a massive lake in Africa. Um, and as, as I was looking down, what I saw was all of these lights below me. And I got confused, and I thought, like, am I over land? Like, am I, like, off my rocker and, like, I don't know where I'm at? And, like, I'm not actually over Lake Victoria. And as I looked down further, like, what I realized is the lights that I was seeing was these um, fishing nets that these fishermen were out on their boats at night, and they were fishing. And it was just this sprinkle of lights all below me, so much so that, like I said, it looked like an entire city infrastructure. And as I looked closely, I could see the lights of these fishing boats just moving. Um, and I could see all of their nets kind of glistening. And this went on for miles. And you might not think that there's anything like romantic or magical about a view or a landscape like that, but what it reminds me is that like God sees us and we are normal people doing normal things, living an everyday normal life, and God sees me just as much as God sees them. And so to me, like that that's powerful. Like I, I find, you know, getting to see people just living life um, and knowing that God god has a plan and a purpose for their life is is that's powerful to me like that's that's god's wider redemptive story on the move and so yeah i've never saw their faces i don't know who they are but i know they were all fishing that night yeah and i was flying above them (laughs) Chai time. Yeah, so Gunnar's mentioning chai time. So, like, um, yeah, I would say culturally it's a slower pace of life. And so for me as a doer, like, that's hard and difficult for me at times. Yeah, every day at between at 10 a.m. and at 3, they have chai time. Um, sometimes I hide away in my office and I'm not good. Like, I don't go to it because the day is busy. But if I can go, like, that's something that I appreciate culturally, And then when I come back here, I I miss that. Like I miss that casual nature. It's like having donuts this afternoon. That's our, that's the chai time that we have every day. It's a much more relational culture. I will tell you a funny chai story though. I was up in northern Kenya and, uh, they gave us chai, which is like milky tea. But I had never, (laughs) I sipped it. I never had this kind of chai before. And it was, they, it was camel chai. And I wasn't, that surprised me because I was like, oh, I thought it would be like goat or something. No, it was camel chai. But let me tell you, camel chai is like salty, milky tea. Like it is full of salt. It's disgusting. And so I was like, I can't drink this. And so I ended up, like my friend and I, I had, I had a, another pilot's spouse was with me. Her and I tasted it. We looked at each other and we're like this is not going to go down well. And so we we just said that we wanted to go like tour the shamba, like we wanted to look around and like see the homes and structures. And then we went and like conveniently spilled our tea like all over the ground in multiple places so that when we returned our cups were empty and we didn't we I didn't drink it. It was it was not great. Maybe that's that's not a great missionary move, but that is that is a strategic missionary move. And it worked. <laughs> they asked if they could top our cups back up again. And I was like, no, I'm so full. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the, I would say the Lord brought me to AIM because my heartbeat is for unreached peoples. Um, so I found out about AIM because of their mission and vision statement, but I also found out about AIM because it's acceptable for women to fly in East Africa. It's not controversial like some other countries. Like, I can freely fly, move about. I don't have, like, significant security concerns. Amir had one female pilot before me, and there's actually two of us now. And I think it's really cool. She has a family, uh, has a young child, and, and she, she flies. So... Um, it's, it's kosher for, for female pilots to be there. I, I, I have some hesitancy with the term female pilot because I want to make my coworkers all T-shirts that says male pilot. Because <laughs> there, the airplane knows no distinction. Um, in fact, I get a lot of privileges just by having a female voice that that comes over the radio, so much so that I get priority for traffic and all, all sorts of... My, <laughs> Like, and yeah, my coworkers don't know that until they fly with me, and then they they realize like, oh, you're like number one. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, let me allow me just to share something. I, I have gone longer than I thought I would. Um, <laughs> Gunner Gunner knows me well, um, but I guess I want to just leave you with an invitation, uh, not a challenge, because I, I don't I don't view it that way, but an invitation, and I think. For me, something that I, I really wrestle with is I am very like I'm task oriented, and I'm a, I imagine many of you here are as well. We like to get things done. We appreciate uh, making progress in our day. Um, that's how I function. I'm a very Type A person. Oh, sorry, Type A personality, and um, so what it means is often like my my vision of communities. You know, if somebody's sick, I want to take them a meal, but I don't necessarily want to spend time and sit with them. (laughs) Um, or, you know, somebody needs me to run vanilla because they're baking over to their house. Like I'm, I'm happy to walk it over, but I I probably don't want to stay with them and make cookies. Um, and so I'm, I'm really trying to work on that. And I think, I think that really is the type of holy community that God invites us to as a church. And more importantly, I think that's the type of community that God invites us to live out in the neighborhoods and spaces in which he has us. And so for me, that happens to be in Nairobi, Kenya, but for you, that's Valley Center. And so like, I just want to invite you um, just to be looking for those opportunities with me in this year and um, just to, I think, lean into that community um, in a deeper, vibrant way and to be seeking people that... Um, that are are different, and also people that may not know the gospel. Um, they're here. Like, they're in our neighborhoods and spaces and our own backyards. And so, like, I cannot minister to those people because I am there, but you can minister to those people because you are here. Um, and so just wherever the Lord has you. And I, I often feel like when God asks me to go an extra minute or an extra mile or an extra few minutes, like, I think my hesitancy is because I often feel drained. <laughs> I'm tired. My day has been full. It's busy and I look at, you know, what's coming ahead or somebody wants to come in my house and I didn't clean it and I just feel like my life's a mess. And so it's hard to invite people into our own chaos. But there's, um, there's a poem that was turned into a song that I just want to close and share it with you that, that talks about God's, um, giving nature to us and how he gives to us and how he sustains us. And I think God sustains us in community as we reach others and as we reach to the nations. And so I'll read it with you, um, maybe as a blessing. And I hope it encourages you as it's been encouraging me. It's short. It says, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision, our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing, the Father both thee and thy load will unbear. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men, for out of His infinite riches in Jesus He giveth and giveth and giveth again. I just find that to be so powerful that we are on the receiving end of God's love, and that God invites us to go in the neighborhoods and spaces in which we 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 live, and to give of ourselves unto people who don't yet know Him. So, that's my invitation. Those are things that I'm musing on and thinking about, and. Um, I'll leave you with that and just an expression of gratitude for your prayer and your giving and your support. This church is meaningful to my heart. You've provided tangible support uh, through gifts before and financial support, and I want you to know that, that that means something to me, and I'm deeply grateful. So, I will find you outside with a coffee in hand and a few donuts. <laughs>
0: Oh look. I have a green light. Okay. Um, I know I promised the kids they could leave, but I figure it's easier for me just to finish. I'm going to go with the three-minute sermon. Uh, <clears throat> we're just concluding 1 John. And I I had in my mind that it could be like three minutes, five minutes, 40 minutes. <laughs> we're at three minutes. Um, at the end of 1 John, because we're wrapping up today we read in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. <clears throat> and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall... Ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Now, there's a section in there. This, this is actually it's a, it's a simple passage for the three-minute version. I'm going to ignore the middle section because that middle section confuses a lot of people, and there's you can study it on your own. Uh, but when I look at this passage in light of today, the overarching thing is that, that humanity is separated from God. And we're told in this passage that Jesus has come. He's lived the perfect life. He's gone to the cross. He's given everything of himself. And John, as he writes, First John, he understands that those people who have given their lives to Christ, that it's easy for us to have doubts and concerns and to question our relationship with God. And he says, you can know that in him you have security. You don't have security in your relationship with God because of your good deeds. Uh, being a missionary pilot, it doesn't make you like a super special person. You don't feel any more like special with God do you. Like I knew the answer. <laughs> like her relationship with God is because of what Jesus did for her and her relationship with Jesus. And uh, so your good works don't bring security, and the things that you do that are missing the mark, that obviously doesn't bring you security. And John wraps up this book by saying, listen, in Christ, you have security. Uh, In Christ, you have relationship with the Father. He wants to hear from you. You can ask him and talk to him and communicate with him, and he wants to communicate with you. And he ends in a very, like, peculiar way. He's just riding along, and then he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. And so here you have the Apostle John at the very end of his life. Tradition holds he's, like, 90 years old or something, and he, he, um, his message was to love one another over and over and over again. But then he just ends sort of like, guard yourselves from idols. And I think that this is... Um, This is something we have to guard ourselves from. You know, we hear Lindsay, and we hear this is really spectacular. This is amazing that people are out there doing things. Um, God is so much bigger than our little world, and he wants us to, to go and to participate and to be involved. And yet so often the reason that we hold back from God is because of our idols, like our idols of our being comfortable, our idols of whatever you're, uh, tangible dreams are that we say, God, these are more important to me than serving you. And so, my prayer is that today, as we hear about Lindsay, God hasn't called us all to go move to, to East Africa to live in a condo with Wi Fi and perfect weather. Uh, he's called some of us to live in Valley Center with dirt, dust, goats. Like, like she's talking about that. We're like, dude, I'd take a goat. I'd take a goat. Like, that would be wonderful. Um, but that we would really reach the point in our lives and our walk with God that we say, Lord, here I am. What do you have for me? I, I'm willing to do whatever. But the reality is, is so many of our idols, my own idols in my own life that they hold us back from doing that. And, and John says, guard yourselves from idols. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We, Lord, I thank you for the flexibility of this uh, this congregation um, Father, I thank you that Lindsay was in our area. Uh, We pray for her, Lord. We thank you for her. We thank you for her friendship and her partnership, and uh, we pray for her as she makes her way back to Africa, and we pray for the team in Africa. I thank you for the many over there that I have met and stay in contact with. Um, We pray, Father, that as we hear about what she's doing and the work that's happening in East Africa, to hear about these people groups that exist um, that there is no practical or tangible way for them to, to hear the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit, reach these people that you would raise up, individuals from within your church. Lord, help us uh, to be faithful to you in all that we do. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to see things in our life um, that we have placed before you. Uh, it's It's easy to think of Idols in the sense of little trinkets that other people do. But, Lord, I pray that you would show us the idols that we have. Um, our security, our uh, our preferences, things that we want, um, that we hold on to. And that we say no to you because we don't want to give up these things. And so I don't know what these things are in each one of our lives. But I pray, Father... Uh, that you would help us to give all of us to you. And we thank you uh, that you have given all of us, uh, given all to us in Christ. And so we love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Amen.